This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim, Pastor Craig, and Pastor Michael in the studio. And listeners, we have a series of questions that have been submitted based on last Sunday's sermon. So guys, are you ready for the questions? Ready. Michael? I'm upset. You're upset. We just started. How could you be upset? Because he submitted like three times as many questions. <laughs> that just means I wasn't quite as clear as you were. Yeah, for the first time. Yeah. And Michael is I, very I competitive. <laughs> unbelievable clarity. I know for me, wow, at first I was upset, but now I'm like, See, is, it, is there something you can be for happy once, about? I did better than you. <laughs> yeah, for once. For once. For once. For once. <laughs> but everybody got a really good sleep. <laughs> I did give a lot of holy naps. Let me tell you. Oh, my. Yeah. Dan, our producer, was like, that was a lot of information. Like, a lot. <laughs> so, Michael has gone from being upset to being happy. <laughs> I'm happy now. All right. Here's the yep. question, our first question. What about the Dead Sea Scrolls? Some did not make the criteria. What are they? So I think there needs to be some clarity in this question. Yeah, so I think, Craig, you did talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls as well as I did, correct? Correct. And the nature of the Dead Sea Scrolls is that there was never really any debate on whether or not they were supposed to be part of the canon because they were actually copies of Hebrew scriptures. Copies of copies of copies of copies. Copies of copies of copies of Hebrew scriptures. And so the listeners can know many of the scrolls were canonical books, Mm -hmm. but there were also non-canonical books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had a lot of documents writing, but one of the other reasons they aren't even considered is because we didn't find them until the middle of the 20th century. Correct. So it was way past the debate. Interestingly enough, just to give some background Mm -hmm. here, they were buried... Time of Jesus. They were buried mm-hmm. a little bit after the time of Jesus. Not exactly sure. They think they buried, buried them. You mean put into a cave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Buried, put into a cave. <laughs> Early first century. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's how they buried back then. And they, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Put stuff in a cave. But, but, but they, you say you're I right. I was thing. wrong. <laughs> oh, my <Sorry>. goodness. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get technical here. Yeah, let's get technical. In, uh, oh, yeah. They were buried in a cave like Jesus. That's good, right? Buried on the third day in a cave. You're right. Don't no, oh my bad, goodness! I'm kidding. If Jesus was not buried, then you are not. Well, okay, moving right along. <laughs> yeah. But some of those documents that were found in the caves that were buried. Yes, they were buried in a cave. Buried. In a cave. <laughs> yes. And they were unearthed in the 40s. <laughs> the 1940s. Yes, in the 1940s. <laughs> the vocabulary is driving me insane. But I get because it's more than one syllable. Yes, I'm like. <laughs> I can't handle it's 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 yeah. my brain is right. so small. There's coffee right next to you. Take a big swig. All right, back to it. Yes, uh, go so for it, Greg. These jars with scrolls were in a cave. <laughs> were, were, were hidden because Thank you. because they were the people who buried them. <laughs> die. Die. Craig, welcome to my world. Thought, yes. <laughs> thought yes. that they were at risk. They thought they were going to get burned, so they they took care they of them. They wanted to preserve now, them, and now yeah. they're unearthed like two thousand years later. And we put them. And there's all kinds of scrolls in there, like you said, Tim. All kinds of different scrolls. There was two actually two almost complete scrolls of Isaiah mm. found in there, and then they put them together with what we have in our possession today, which is copies of copies of copies of copies of you know, and all through these two thousand years. And lo and behold, especially these two copies of Isaiah, which is miraculous. These are almost word perfect documents, which shows the the incredible miraculous hand of God that that would preserve his text so that what we read today, uh, we can be confident is the actual word of God. So I just think it's it's an amazing 
it's an amazing, miraculous thing. And prior to the Dead Sea Scrolls, the latest manuscripts were from the, I think, 10th century BC or AD. This brought our earliest Old Testament manuscripts from about the 900s AD yeah. mm-hmm. all the way back to 200 BC. BC. Mm-hmm. And to even find that meticulous nature of biblical preservation over functionally an 1,100-year period and yeah. to say, wow, like the Jewish people did an incredible job maintaining the integrity of the documents. And that's usually one of the things that we hear from our culture is, how can you trust a Bible that was written by man? How can you trust a Bible? Do we really know that what we have today is what the Jews were holding and reading? And that's not the only piece of evidence, yeah. but I think it's like the phone game. You ever play the phone yes. game where you, you know, you tell somebody a secret and then they tell it to the next person, the next I've person. I've never heard of that. All Can the way around the room. Yeah. That we got to bury everybody first. That's but true. once we <laughs> get all the way around the room, they, uh, I just put people and then in you case. find out if the, if the message is actually the same and it's always different. Isn't it crazy? Because that's like, that's like how life goes to have a document that was copied that many times to be almost word perfect, Mm. not the original text, but certainly something that had been preserved for 2,000 years. It's just, it blows me away. Okay, you ready for the next question? Here we go. So all this that's in the Bible, what do we say to the, the statement, what if the Bible is just a good book, a novel by many people that have been compiled over the years? That was for Craig, so oh, was it? that one, yeah. Yeah, more, more for me. They were all for you. <laughs> <laughs> Michael and I, actually, we talked about this when we were prepping for this uh, message together, which is something that I really enjoy doing, the, just to be in the aura of Michael Shut and to be, to be receiving the... <laughs> <laughs> you, you are so... <laughs> he wants a raise. <laughs> He's working at it. Talk it's from that podcast you yeah. sent me yesterday. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> Michael's what? the most authentic individual. Uh, okay, sorry, no, there's this, there's this like a uh, megachurch thing where everyone's like, our pastor is the greatest human yeah. <laughs> that has ever lived. Everybody stand up and give a round of applause for your pastor and mine. Bleh, 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 bleh. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, Who? I thought it was from Village of Bartlett. Village, no, uh, shut your mouth. No, <laughs> they they applaud more for their pastor than Jesus, and I'm yeah, like, oh, there's yeah. something wrong. Yeah, oh my, oh goodness. my goodness. The moment they're like, and now we invite our lead pastor and Craig Jarvis. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm going to walk the other way. I will literally walk in the room and say, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Repent. Repent. Now applaud for Jesus louder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back, back to Back it. to the question. You were saying? What was the question? Uh, I don't remember. What do we say? Oh, right, right, what right. if the Bible is just a good book? Right. So we went, we're digging through all of this. And Sonny was really a lot of information because there's an enormous amount of information about the authenticity of this book how the manuscript that we have today, the Bible that we have today is so trustworthy and so reliable because for a lot of different reasons, but there's an enormous amount of evidence how it was preserved, how it was, think of the, all the people in through history that tried to destroy this book over and over again. This is the first one on the list. It's the oldest of all the manuscripts that we have. We have more, uh, we have more manuscripts. We have like 6,000 manuscripts of scripture that we're finding through the ages and none of them ever disagree with the other, which is just amazing. If you ever hear that there is, you, there's, you'll find that eventually there's something wrong with the manuscript yes. that they find. So I think there's like 6,000 parchments and like 3,000 manuscripts. But of all of these, there's just evidence after evidence that what we have is, is trustworthy because it has been preserved so well. Easily more than we have of Shakespeare, more than we have of Plato, more than we have of, of all of these uh, ancient writers. Uh, we have more copies, more scraps, more parchments 
of scripture than any other one. The most amazing thing is when you compare it with the Bible that we hold in our our hands today, it is amazing how accurate it is. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that there's something supernatural about this book. It's the oldest book we have. It's the bestseller that we have. If you consider just the fact that this book was written over a 1,500-year period by 40 different authors on three different continents, that in itself is an amazing phenomenon, and it all agrees with itself every single page. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor or you're, what country you're from. Uh, this book has, a, has an appeal to every culture and every generation. It's, it is a miraculous book. That's all you can mm-hmm. say. But we don't worship the Bible. Not, that's not what I'm saying at all. We worship the God who would preserve his text so that we can have the truth in our hands today. And no novel can compare ever to that. Yes. So the person who's asking the question is actually making a statement, but then they're asking you guys to respond. They say, I know that the Bible is the words that are breathed by God. What do I say to others? What do I say to my neighbors, my friends, the ones that I interact with who don't believe the Bibles are breathed by God? I'm going to give this one to Michael, mm-hmm. even though it's, I think it's from our folks, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to actually pile onto this one a little bit and ask you what you think is false in this statement. God whispered words into the ears of the author for them to write it down. That's wrong. Yeah. I mean, if it's a poetic way of saying something, I could imagine the rhetorical device there. But in a literal sense, that is not an accurate statement. Yeah. So. Yeah. God didn't whisper to anybody. Yeah, yeah um, God did I, not I, dictate. Well, he he did well, some of the Bible. Some, yeah. some, some. Right. But like, I don't, I don't know how Old Testament prophets received with such clarity. Did God whisper it? Did he yell it? You know, and there's a lot of. I don't know how some of the Old Testament saints, if you will, got that word. But I think to answer your question, I'll I'll go to the end of my sermon. One of the things I ended with is I can I can never make you love or trust the Bible until you trust in Jesus. I have relieved myself of the burden of trying to convince somebody that they should love and trust the Bible. That being said, there's probably very few conversations that we're going to be able to have with somebody that is going to be able to debunk all of the pop culture myths about the Bible. Probably the person who wants to maybe convince somebody else of the miraculous nature of the Bible, probably should start by maybe sharing a sermon with them or sharing an article with them and begin a a bigger dialogue about the nature and historicity and the origins of the actual text that we have that that directs them to some of the more miraculous um, ideas. Uh, I I will give forewarning that when we do that with people, though, um, they're going to be able to find something from the Jesus Seminar, for example, that is filled with almost blatant misinformation um, about the nature of some of the biblical text. What's so hard about studying some of these things is that there are so many concepts out there and not all concepts are equally rooted in history. You think about like the Da Vinci Code when that came out, blatantly pathetic, false, unsubstantiated history, inferential at best, and so easy to find original documents to actually disprove Dan Brown's historical claims. But what happens in the psyche of people is that whenever they think about historical documents, they're not used to researching history. They don't right. know how to discern good from bad or right from wrong. And and so what happens is when there's a multiplicity of opinions on something, people's brains get fuzzy and they end up just saying, well, I guess we'll never know. Oh, oh people have different opinions. So I've, I guess everybody's got a right to their opinion. And the reality, though, is that Actually, most of these opinions are not good history. They're bad history. But we take for granted as pastors, we study dead languages. Mm. We know how to go through ancient documents and, and, and delineate what is good and bad and false and right. 
and a lot of people don't. So it's a really hard conversation. Yeah. And so I can walk down that path with anybody. I do find that a lot of lay people are probably not equipped to debate the historicity of manuscripts and texts and how we got what we had, and et cetera. Um, some are. Some do due diligence and study really well. And I do think it, it can be really challenging. And one of the requirements would be I do think you want to get them to a point where you proclaim the gospel and the resurrection. In fact, I'm probably more inclined to have a discussion about the nature of the resurrection mm. than I am the historicity of the Bible. And I know Andy Stanley got himself into some trouble on all this stuff, but I think one of the things he said well is that the early church didn't have the New Testament. They did have the resurrection. Yes. They had some writings and they were disparate, but they didn't have them all together. And their salvation wasn't based on whether or not they believed in 27 canonical books. It was based on whether or not they believed in the historicity of the resurrection and Jesus as God. It's just a challenging conversation because when you talk with somebody and they're talking with you about the authenticity of God's word or the reliability of God's word. It's a difficult conversation to have when you approach it from a factual viewpoint. Because I can give you fact after fact after fact. But the truth of the matter is they probably been brought up believing a whole bunch of different facts. Yep. And if you do an quote, honest... Quote facts. Right, exactly. If you do an honest study of this book, how we got it, where it came from, how it was preserved, and all of the evidence we continually find, even to this day... You understand that God didn't give us this book to prove us scientific theory or to give us a a let's go around Jerusalem travel guide or how to plant olive trees on the Mount of Olives. That's not why we have the Bible. We have the Bible as as a blueprint for how God intends to reveal himself. And how we can relate to him and move from rebels to friends mm-hmm. of God. Yes. And when you read Second Corinthians 3, it says their minds were hardened to this day, talking about the Jewish people, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. And this is a passage we chose to, uh, to talk through a little bit more along with this Sunday that we talked about the reliability of the Bible. Because it says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And so I think it refers more to just Moses and the prophets. It refers to you'll be able to understand the scriptures once you surrender to the authority of Jesus and the fact that he rose from the dead and that in itself cannot be disproven. Once you walk down that road, your eyes are open to what the Bible says and the spirit will bring this book to life for you. Yes. To go back to what we were talking about earlier, did God dictate? There are portions of the Bible that clearly God is dictating. When we say dictate, we are not talking about how Joseph Smith received the golden tablets yeah. and those words were dictated by the angel or... <laughs> although that didn't happen. Although that, yes, yeah. although that, yes. We cl- I'm claiming they claim that it happened <laughs> no. that way. Or as Muhammad received the Quran. From the same, Gabriel. Yeah, and it was angel. dictated to him. <laughs> Gabriel's giving away all kinds of information. Exactly. <laughs> He's visiting but we America. Hold, He's visiting. Sorry. Yeah, we hold to <laughs> what, what Peter said in 2 Peter 1.21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along right. by the Holy Spirit. Yep, yep. What he wanted them to write, they wrote. Yeah, we know that because each book has a flair. Flair, a different personality of right. the author. You can see that yep. coming out. Yep, yep. So God didn't breathe this into somebody's ear. He moved in the quill, in the hand of his people, and they wrote these things down. I grew up in a great church, and I heard inspired and errant, whatever, but it wasn't until high school that somebody explained that. Really? You know how you have questions, and you don't even know you have questions? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
when they said it, I was like, I didn't even know I should ask that, but that makes so much more sense. Like, I didn't even know how to differentiate Greek and, and English. I just had so many things that I had never questioned before. Like, America's only a couple hundred years old. How did just a weird thing for me in high school to start hearing those in yeah. youth ministry and putting those pieces together? But there's some people, like, they never hear this ever. That's so encouraging for you to say that because I'm yeah. sure there's some listeners that are listening to this thing in themselves. Why don't I know all this stuff? Right, totally. So you might be on, on the same path. Yeah. As Pastor Michael yeah. Keeling. You might grow to be so bald. Get <laughs> <laughs> yeah. overweight. True. <laughs> hey, you look good. Uh, you know, Stand up, do a tour. Okay. Oh, my goodness. You guys <laughs> are that? hilarious. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Just don't do any cartwheels in this room. <laughs> Sorry. Michael said that the New Testament doesn't ever mention. All right, I'm having to read through here. Ever mentioned that's Michael's that, writing? He leaves out. Yeah, Michael said. <laughs> Michael said that somebody else said that Michael yes. said. Michael is being quoted here. <laughs> the New Testament never mentions the DC books. Deuterocanonical. Deuterocanonical. Yes. Well, I like, I like Deuterocanonical. Marvel over DC. I know. Right? Over DC. Yeah. Not the comic books. Yeah. Oh, this. Oh, I'm totally misreading this. Sorry. I thought Jude referenced Deuter. Deuter Dudio canonical. Yes, I'm getting tongue tied. <laughs> Books. Yeah. Uh, laughing about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, there is. Oh, no stories. Carry on. Right, let me, here's the question. Explain right. yeah, let me what explain. they're asking. All right. So in my message, we answered a question. Why do the Orthodox and Catholic churches have seven extra books and then a few sections of Esther and Daniel at the end yes. that are not in the Hebrew Bible, or nor are they in the Protestant 66 New Testament Bible, right? 66 books of the New Testament. So what happened is in the, in the interte- intertestamental period from about 435 BC after Malachi to the time of Christ, there were no Hebrew prophets. And the question on the table was, what about all of the books written in this intertestamental period? Now, they were written in Greek because um, really the Greek world took over. The uh, the Hebrew people started documenting the history of their people in the Greek language. And all of these books written in Greek in the intertestamental period are called the apocryphal literature, apocryphal books. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're really good. A lot of them are really good history books. Mm-hmm. They're, they capture the poetry and the history of the people of Israel in this intertestamental period. Mm-hmm. So the question for the Jewish people was, do we include any of the apocryphal books in our canon? There were seven books and, again, portions of Daniel and Esther that were primarily in a debate. Um, at about, I think it was 90 AD or 100 AD, the Council of Jamnia, Jewish Council, um, said the apocryphal literature in totality is not canon, and they closed what was called the Palestinian canon. That was the canon that Jesus used, the apostles used, etc. So in my sermon, what I said is, uh, here's how you know that the deuterocanonical books are absolutely unequivocally not considered by the Jews, Jesus, or the apostles to be Scripture. Because of these 4,105 references indirectly and directly to the Old Testament, how many references does Jesus make to the deuterocanonical literature? The answer is? None. Zero. Mm -hmm. How, How about the rest of the New Testament? They're even quoting secular references, right? Yes. Four times. Yes, they are. So how many references are there to any deuterocanonical books by implication or explicitly, directly, et cetera? The answer is? None. 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 Zero. It's not even in their category. Right. So They're not even. We yeah. know that. Although the, they do quote secular writers. Correct. So this person is saying, all right, the book of Enoch, which is an apocryphal book, uh, is quoted or referenced by Jude. 
which is absolutely true, but you said zero, and I need everybody to hear me, okay? Apocryphal literature is all this Greek literature written by the, the Jewish people in the intertestamental period. There's a small little subcategory of that called the deuterocanonical books, those seven books plus pieces of Daniel and Esther. Jude is not a part of the deuterocanonical books. It is apocryphal, yes, but it's not deuterocanonical. Jude is free to reference the book of Enoch, but the Jewish people, nor the early church, nor anybody in the early church at all thought the book of Enoch should have been, might have been, could have been in the canon. It was just never in the debate. Uh, Now, if the book of Enoch was a deuterocanonical book, then we would say no deuterocanonical books were referenced anywhere at all except by the book of Jude. The book of Enoch is not a deuterocanonical book. It's just an apocryphal but book. But having said that, scholars are split on is Jude's reference truly to the book of Enoch or right. to the person of Enoch? Right. My perspective, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. I would land on he is referencing the book of Enoch, but the Bible, by referencing an apocryphal book, isn't sanctioning an apocryphal book any more than it is sanctioning secular literature by quoting secular literature. And it's actually very plausible and I think would be responsible of New Testament authors to reference something that is true even if it's not canonical. The idea that if the Bible quotes it, it is therefore necessarily canonical is – that's just a false statement. There's more qualifications it has to meet. Yeah, it has to meet a whole bunch more qualifications. But, that, but it has to meet that plus – a bunch of others. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Now, and Paul quoted from secular literature. For sure. So I think that I think what people need to understand is they have this idea that if anybody's quoted, then all the things they do must be right. canonical. That's, and that's just not the case. Which is not true. It is permissible for any New Testament author to quote anything, and that thing they're quoting does not necessarily make it canonical. And it does not endorse the entire document for that sure. they're pulling from. Any more than when they quote Caesar, endorses everything Caesar has ever Correct. done. I mean, and if something is true, it's true despite who said it, but it doesn't mean everything that source says is accurate. Do you want to talk Gnostic Gospels before we go? I don't, but you can. <laughs> well, it's just that there's such a big yes, deal these days. it's a days. huge deal. Yeah, we talked about the Gnostic Gospels for a bit at Bartlett. We but did. Yeah. We did too. Good. What'd you say? Um, you love them? Yeah, I love them. Yeah, so great. Gnostic Gospels, after the second century, there's so many different things they don't mean to cut on, but the biggest one is the early church spoke against them on a regular basis. Yep. Right. So you've got these guys that are basically building the church and defending scripture, and they are saying what goes in, what goes out, what we should trust, what we shouldn't, and they give no time at all to yeah. the Gnostic Gospels. They were in the Comedy Library. Um, they were from a, a culture that was trying to build uh, build out more on this idea, the whole philosophy of Gnosticism. So it tried to take a thought and build on it. And so uh, while they have the same names and the same people in some of these uh, Gospels, Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Thomas, all these things. And most scholars would agree that Mary and Thomas and Peter they were not the writers. All actual scholars would agree because Gnostic philosophy was you would actually go back and you would take a biblical figure as yes. your pseudonym. Right. And right. then you would write stories, stories and narratives. As if you were that yeah, person, which to is communicate not the, case. the Gnostic worldview. And it's interesting because we look at that as plagiarism and immoral. They didn't. Yeah, right, that right. was like <laughs> standard right. operating procedures, mm-hmm. which probably shows maybe some of the more demonic influence and <laughs> an agenda behind, you know, the Gnostic writings. But that was normal. If you were a Gnostic and you want to propagate your literature, you'd go find Enoch or yeah. or Peter or Mary and you'd write a whole bunch of stories well, that propagated your Gnostic philosophy. Not too far from what Dan, what's his name, did. Brown. With, uh, yeah, Dan Brown did. Yeah. yeah, same kind of deal. Yep. 
take Ish. take a story from scripture and build on it. So yep. just in case you're still stuck out on the Gnostic Gospels and you're thinking to yourself, no, oh, that sounds interesting. CNN did a real special thing on it, and I I, I agree with them. It should mm-hmm. probably be included in the canon. Let me just read for you a, a passage out of the Gospel of Thomas. And just, oh, this is my favorite. Okay, okay. This is, so awesome. like this. This is true. It'll ring true in this your heart. Verse, right? verse 114. So <laughs> yeah. if you like the Gnostic Gospels, uh, you can look this up for yourself. But here's what it says. Simon Peter said to them, let Mary go out from among us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said to him, look, I will lead her that I may make her a male in order that she too may become a living spirit, resembling you males. For every woman who makes herself male will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So just in case you're out there and you're a good uh, liberation theologist or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You're but no love, men, no men can make verse. themselves females under this philosophy. By oh, the way. that's true. That's right. I mean, this goes you wouldn't want way. to because you, you miss out on heaven. Yeah, this there. is yeah. the patriarchy in action. So bottom line is, read it. If you're if you're yeah. thinking, thinking if yourself, you think it's true, you yeah. think don't it's take anyone's word for it. Read yeah. it, and see what yeah. you think. It is. It is funny how we sit back and we're like, well, there's another gospel of Enoch and Mary and Peter, and I'm like, okay, just read the dumb things. Yeah, read it, and you'll see how inane it is, yeah. and it's not even. It doesn't even flow. Right. And it comes from a worldview that is so broken and and inconsistent. Uh, it has no regard for truth or reality. All right, thanks, listeners, for joining us again. Please come back next time when we answer one of your questions here at the Village Church Q and A podcast. All right. Thanks, listeners, for joining us today. Please come back next time when we ask and we are asked a question from one of you and we answer it. <laughs> no, that wasn't. That didn't land very well. Say. That didn't land. <laughs> and then I will drink water and go to the bathroom and flush uh, the toilet. That didn't land well. I thought Jude referenced Dudo. Dudio canonical. Yes, I'm getting tongue tied. <laughs> Books. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing about it. <laughs>